0: For one reason or another, we don't seem to like a lot of what happens in the present moment. And use the past and the future as ways to either compensate for what we think we don't have in the present From it. And although there are times when it's valid to use the past and the future, some of it's quite obvious, there seems to be a head on collision between the way in which our minds are trained and have been trained for a long time and the emphasis of the practice which is to focus on what is, just the way it is right now, again and again. And so much of what we talk about in discussion groups have to do with not wanting to or having a difficult time doing that. The instructions are really simple. You could take it on as a practice. It's a simple but difficult one, a very powerful one. Just every time you find yourself caught up, lost in the future, or lost in the past, unless there's a good reason for it, I don't mean lost in, but using, just come back to the present. We're saying this in a hundred different ways. I think so. Uh, Last time, we sketched out a few ways in which we relate to the past. For many of us, maybe for all of us, an unexamined past is a burden, can be a burden. It weighs heavily on us, it's very tiring. The solution is not amnesia, but a different relationship to the natural and normal fact that we have memories of what has happened to us. Not only that, we've accumulated knowledge and skills that are necessary. Can this burden be dropped? It can, and it can be dropped through the clear seeing that we're cultivating again and again and again, whether it's with breathing or more, more complicated states that arise in the mind and in the body. Let me give you a simple uh, example uh, to point out how much, this is the simplest I could think of. The past is so much with us, it's in a sense, we're seeing the present through yesterday's eyes a good deal of the time. There's just so much that's been accumulated. So many conclusions, opinions, positions that have been formed. And then sometimes without even knowing it held on to that we see what's happening right in front of us through these lenses. We form images of what happens and then they come between us and the freshness of each moment. Let me give you a very simple example. I've given the breath awareness instructions, hundreds of thousands of times. For all I know, a million or more. (laughs) And it's not that different. You know, breathe in, breathe out, let it flow naturally. You've heard it. Um, Most of the time, it's it's alive for me. It's not boring. Now and then it is. And I can feel it. There's a mechanical quality. I can hear it in my voice. And that's like an alarm that goes off which means I'm caught, it's all the times that I've said it, uh, this is adding one more time onto it. And as soon as I see it, typically it either weakens that or it falls away. And then uh, saying the same thing, literally the same thing, but it isn't the same thing experientially. Now, all day long, I'd like to, for us to move, I, I want to deal with the future a bit and the present and bring that into to, uh, our going home and bringing the practice home. But even here, but certainly when we go home, the repetitive aspect of life must have hit you at some point. How many more times do we eat and then wash our mouth out and then brush our teeth and then eat again brush her? Uh, go to sleep, wash up, wake up, go to sleep, wash up. Uh, Probably we've brushed our teeth millions of times, some of us. (laughs) 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 So that if we can learn how to live in the present with with even the simplest things, uh, the quality of life will change. Otherwise, we are really uh, robot-like. Um, what I've been, I've been using this term real-time, learning how to live in real-time. And I mentioned that I got the idea from the stock market and asked people who knew more about it than I do um, and got some sense of it. And during one of the discussion groups, I was given another about real time in the stock market since then I've learned a little bit more from some of you um, I think generally the way I was using it is correct but one of the, the, uh, the changes that comes about is when you can read about when you know your stock in real time that means is it's almost as if you're on the floor not quite I think so that Maybe it's a matter of seconds or minutes, but that could be thousands of dollars if you're in that way of life, that business, and know what you're doing. Or if you don't know what you're doing, or either, you can lose thousands of dollars. And so uh, there's something profitable about being up to date with with what the stock market is saying. And I'd like to suggest that it's the same when real-time becomes living in real-time in a psychological sense. Uh, If you've only eaten canned food, frozen food, refined food, refined flours, you know, all of that stuff that's bad. And then suddenly, uh, or at some point, you're introduced to fresh food, uh, whole grains, organic food, you know, all the stuff that are in health food stores now, Uh, there's quite a difference in terms of the nourishment. Now maybe you don't like to taste that as much at the beginning because you're used to these uh, fast foods, refined foods and so forth, but there's no question even scientifically that there's much more nourishment in it. Now we're living off, a lot of the time, off the future and off the past. And it's gratifying to some degree. That's why we do it. And self-deception can be very gratifying. I don't know if you've seen that yet. That's why we do it a lot. But it usually it crashes. It doesn't work because it's, it's, it's not true. And so if you don't know that there's deep, more food, there's more nourishment available, you're going to try to get better ideas about the future, what the Buddha called, Bhavatanha, the urge to become. It's considered one of the cravings that leads to suffering. an Endless urge to become something better than what you think you are. Even in the moment, to have the next breath be more clear. And if if you're uh, more and more begin to taste what it's like to be living in real time, that is intimately and directly experiencing what's happening, even if it's unpleasant. There's just no comparison. But if we don't know that, we're gonna keep trying to do something with our past, or allow it to do something to us, or yearn for a future and live off that. And as more and more you see that the reason all of these great teachers are pointing towards the present moment is because it makes a huge difference in terms of the quality of our life. Uh, In most ordinary terms I can think of, there's more aliveness. You're more alive. A Buddha, I would say, is someone who's fully alive. Okay, we haven't dealt with the the future as much. Just a little bit on the future. Oh, do you remember I read a little quote, which is... uh, consistent with the sutra, which I hope you've picked up. there are copies uh, under the, near the bulletin board if you d- didn't see them. Uh, in this little quote, this I didn't mention, is someone asks the, sees that the, the meditators around the Buddha are all radiant and says, Buddha, how come uh, these people are so radiant? They l- just look wonderful. He said, they don't hanker uh, after the future. They don't grasp after the past. They sustain themselves on the present moment. You get what I'm trying to say? (laughs) And so, um, but our job, you have to find that out for yourself. It isn't just another slogan, be here now. That's, it's now, uh, the power of now, be here now. uh, It's becoming quite popular in the moment. We have to do it though, to find out what what it's all about. In regard to the future, It seems like just as we use the past sometimes to create very pleasant memories, and sometimes the past is just extraordinarily painful and difficult, you could even say almost impossible to let go of in some cases. A few of you have sent notes about uh, commenting on, some of you know much more than I do, about some of the uh, extreme conditions uh, that, that that I reported, Referred to the other day, Holocaust, etc. Uh, there's no question that sometimes wounds are so deep that, I mean, you never give up, but sometimes it seems like it's difficult to drop that weightiness. The future is similar. We'll use the future for hope and also for despair, terror, fear. And I'd like to, in a moment, lead into saying a bit about daily life, getting that started, and then perhaps uh, hearing what's, what's on your mind. Let me give you examples of the future, uh, Simplest, simple ones. If any of you were in the Army and, or the military, and if you were drafted, which I was, uh, but even if you weren't, you'd see this phenomenon. It's not just in movies. Typically, you're drafted in the American Army for two years. Uh, Pretty early on, there are a fair number of people who start counting the days for when they're going to get discharged and start talking a lot about what it would be like to be back in the States or to be out of the Army or whatever military branch you're in. It's not something you volunteered for. And people will literally have on their lockers or count the number of days left and talk about it. 750 days left. Meanwhile, it's two years of our life going by. By the way, the retreat isn't over. Is your mind on tomorrow? Are you already home? Is it already Sunday? Come back. It's quite common at this point in the retreat even earlier uh, for the mind to start before you were here your mind was concerned about getting here so you weren't where you were. Now you're here and your mind is where you once wanted to get out of. (laughs) And now you're going back there, but somehow the mind prefers to be where it didn't want to be in the first place (laughs) rather than be where it is. It's now, it's rather pleasant. Heat has died down, good food, nice company. (laughs) A little on the quiet side. (laughs) So we, can, we often invent futures uh, to enable us to deal with the present. Just like we can invent or stay with pleasant past memories. When my body was younger, when it was healthier, when I was better looking, when I remember the good old days. Uh, I have friends who, are, who I went to school with years ago. They always want to talk about the good old days and... They weren't quite that good as I remember. <laughs> That's why I came into the Dharma. I mean
1: <laughs>
0: But when they start telling it, I start, I'm ready to start crying you know <laughs> uh, so we we'll, we'll do that'll we'll, uh, The a very important one uh, is I think... Well, the Four Noble Truths be- begin with there is suffering, there is dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, and it's caused by craving and attachment. And in the Buddhist teaching, one of the main kinds of craving, leading to attachment, is craving to become. It's not a small item. Uh, if, once you hear about it and start to take notice, discernment, you'll start to see that the mind very often wants to be come something other than what it is, or it wants the next moment to be better than what it is. Uh, You'll see there examples all over the place. In the meantime, uh, we're here, but we're not here, because we're already somewhere else which in our imagination will be better. Whether you think it's that day when you're going to have your big enlightenment, the Steven Spielberg fireworks, and you'll be fully enlightened, and then you can come up here and teach, And people will come and worship you, and bring you fruit. (laughs) And then when you don't get it after I've been practicing for eight years, 10 years. Um, But also the future has a lot to do uh, with fear uh, and despair. Uh, Let me give you examples of that, and then I would like to move into uh, an approach to daily life. Here's one that may seem uh, a little bit humorous. I don't know if it'll strike you as funny, but it's it's true. It came out of an interview, more than two interviews, but one very strong one at CIMC a few years ago when there was a lot of... uh, anxiety starting to build up about the Social Security going bankrupt and that the person who was talking to me was in, she was in early to mid forties. And what she was terrified of is that by the time she was a senior citizen, there wouldn't be enough money for her. And so she went on and on about this. And I said, you know, you might as well be in a nursing home already because you're already there. It was, it said, uh, is this fear really plaguing? It's, oh, it's, wherever I go, I'm just really afraid. Okay, now sometimes, let's say fear has intelligence in it so that, I don't know, maybe it will go bankrupt, but sometimes there are real things you can do. Uh, you can start a savings account. You can put aside some money so that at least you'll feel better uh, to, for that future. But once you do whatever it is you can do, then the future is out of our hands. And, uh, the whole, uh, the, the constant imagining about what it's going to be like to be poor and old, uh, when you're 40, pretty healthy, uh, have a nice, uh, income from a nice job. Uh, and it's a beautiful day out. Uh, that isn't exactly the, the Dharma approach. So, See if that isn't something also that your mind does. Remember, all Dharma talks are they're about my mind and your mind. It's not uh, something to, to write down in um, notebooks and then you get tested on it. It's about you getting to know yourself. If these are useful and if they're true, find out. See if that's so. How do we use or misuse the future or use or misuse the past? Uh, let's move into... Um, Daily life Just trying to think of the best way to. Okay. Okay. The attitude that I believe Carrado and I are presenting is that prior to any of the forms, or there's only daily life," let's put it that, there's only life. It's not that, now I'm going back to the real world tomorrow. Well, what is this? I mean, is it, this is not, a, don't we do, don't we have a daily life here? Aren't we uh, doing exactly the same, maybe we don't talk as much. We do everything else and we do other special things here, but this is life, it's a piece of life. So the instructions here are to do each thing in turn, wholeheartedly, When it ends, let it go and move on. Then do the next thing wholeheartedly, let it go and move on. That same instruction holds because life doesn't stop. You get into your car and there's life going on in that form. Then you get home, perhaps family or friends or whatever you do. And so if you have a perspective that has such a simple teaching, I'm not saying it's easy to do or to remember to do, you can see that this simple instruction of whatever it is, that's being in the present moment. In order to do what you're doing, that's what it means. How can you, you can't do it any other way, not do it properly. But we, the mind creates hierarchies and it creates uh, preferences, very strong ones. Uh, This is worthwhile, this is all something If I can help it, I won't do it. That is awful. The rest of it, I have to do it and get through it, but uh, I can't wait to get back to what's really important. Some years ago, I saw on uh, TV while eating a, I remember it, avocado and sprout sandwich on whole grain bread with carrot juice. (laughs) (laughs) Not exactly, I don't really remember it. That was a lie, it was wrong speech. I was eating so, something healthy and <laughs> then if you remember the flying that maybe some of you who don't know that the flying Walandas were a family of tightrope walkers. Okay. It was a f- whole family. They did it. Of course, the star was Mr. Walanda. He was the flying Walanda and he was somewhere in South America. And I'm watching on the, and he was about, and it was, he was supposed to d- walk on this high wire, way up. Uh, but there was a huge windstorm, and he was advised to not go up. It was dangerous. And they tried and tried, and it was delayed a bit. And then finally, he went up on the high wire. And I'm eating my sandwich, and right in front of me, he's walking on the high wire, and it's blown to his death. Okay. now. They then quoted from an interview that someone had with him some years ago, where he said, for me, life is walking on the high wire. Everything else is just waiting. You see what I'm getting at? It's an extreme example. But waiting is not being in the present moment, usually. Like if you have to wait for a plane or wait for lunch, and in the meantime, you're killing time, you're distracted, you're all over the place, and then you come to life when it's time to pick up your food. What what has happened there? Maybe it's just four minutes. Snap out of it. The practice would be, snap out of the fact that you're waiting. Lost in, somehow it doesn't exist. It's neither here nor there. I was in the meditation hall, soon I'll be eating. This stuff is sort of, you know... So, that dramatic example, uh, I think, points to all of us about how we we live our life. Now, so the challenge, and to me it's a big one, of living in daily life, I'm speaking now to those of us who are quite committed to meditation. If you're not committed to meditation, which means periodic retreats, sitting every day, etc. Uh, what I'm saying may not mean very much at all. Typically what happens, I don't, uh, maybe it's not typically, but very, very often, what happens is that we, what, what, what Mr. Wallanda did to the tightrope, we do to, to IMS and other initial places, CIMC and all those other places around. When we come here, in terms of our meditative life, I don't mean that we don't enjoy ourselves in other things, So the real thing is going on here, obviously. There are Buddhas all over the place. It's devoted to doing it, and the Buddha's always sitting. Not always, 95%. He's not vacuuming, he's not making love. (laughs) He isn't. Okay, so we tell you yogi job and do it and all. Yeah, right, okay. But we know the real thing is in this hall and in the walking. And this is called Yogi Land. Staff often refers to it as Yogi Land. Well, what's the rest of it? What are you doing? Waiting until it's time to come into Yogi Land? Uh, so I'm, I'm suggesting a different perspective. I think many of us get caught, and the deeper you go into meditation, the more you love it. I've seen this. This is, to me, not theory. The more you love it, the more gratification you get from your sitting practice, the, the deeper this split can become. If you don't get into it, then you're just glad to get out of here you know, and just go back to your life. It's precisely the people who fall in love with the Dharma and do lots of sitting and do lots of retreats, that that can stand for what it's really all about. And everything else, we do our best to be as mindful as we can because we hear it so often, but to me it it can become a huge cliché. So it seems that if you agree with this, you don't have to, it's just one person's view. One thing that is needed is to understand the price we pay for that. I'm not saying that people shouldn't be monks or nuns. Uh, in other words, each lifestyle needs a practice that's appropriate for it. Our lifestyle, if we're lay people, we are probably spending most of our life not on the cushion. That's just a fact. If we don't learn how to, how to take care of life, how to nourish ourselves in all these present moments that make up non-cushion life, so to speak, then how can this practice deliver what you all want, or many of you want, all kinds of extraordinary attainments and accomplishments? Because you're just going to do it here, or CIMC, or New York somewhere, or San Francisco, and then the rest of the time, what is that? I mean, maybe you're having a good time, But if that isn't really of one piece with dharma, then there won't be a momentum, a potency built up, uh, a vitality, a spiritual vitality that enables us to see through all of our delusions. Uh, Dharma is not easy. No one's saying it is. And learning to live in the present moment until you start to actually taste the difference between the act actually being more fully alive and what it's like to be chomping on ideas about what life is. Uh, when that happens, it can turn things around. So what I'm suggesting is some of it is, take, is reflective. Reflect on what most of your life is when you go home. We, we, we're in a relationship. Of course, everyone is, anywhere. We have to earn money. Uh, sex may be involved. Food is involved. We have to learn how to use those energies. If you inherit, some of us can become second class monks or nuns. We're neither lay people nor monastics. To me, that's sad. We need a practice that's appropriate for lay people, that has vitality, and that we respect. And I would say it's to me obvious. It's life that we respect. And life comes prior to IMS. Sorry. Those of you who are on staff, volunteer staff and all that, it's great. But we go home, and someday probably you will, too. (laughs) You will, definitely. I've seen you all come and go, come and go. (laughs) You know, it's like that film, uh, The the Grand Hotel with Greta Garbo. It starts off with the the people at the desk. People come and people go, but nothing ever changes. And then the film ends that way, too. That's hotel life. Well, Catskill is a hotel. <laughs> but at any rate, so if you take it on as a practice, then uh, li- the world exists to set us free. That's a Dharma attitude. The world exists to help us get free. That means in addition to living a normal life, raising a family, going to school, whatever it is you do, it's not two separate things. If you do it In this spirit, uh, those activities that make up ordinary, normal life are the activities that are also dharmic. It isn't, I do dharmic stuff in this place, and I do worldly stuff in that place. Whether something is dharmic or worldly has to do with the quality of mind and heart. It has nothing to do with place, or your outfit, or lack of an outfit, or whether you shave your head, grow a beard, the color of your outfit, uh, how many holidays you celebrate, how much incense you light, how much bowing you do. I'm talking about the core of all this. Anything that helps you do that, I'm all for it. Now, if you're a monastic, this may not be as re- as relevant or an aspiring one, but we're not. So that's why I say this. Okay, now, to move into where we're going back to, I feel uh, that Uh, the perspective is what I just suggested it is. And just bring that to your life as it is, the most ordinary, repetitive things, taking out the garbage, listening to your child, whatever it is. But there's also something that's changed since 9-11, and there's signs that it's uh, not going to go away. And I'd like to just deal with that in a small way uh, and then uh, talk it over with you. One of the problems of the future, of why we have a hard time uh, with the future, is that we imagine what's going to, when the future is frightening. We imagine what the future is going to be, and maybe the future has to do with no social security money, aging, sickness, and death. Will I have a crippling disease? Uh, How will I die? What quality of, of, how will my, my dying be? And so forth. We would all like a blueprint of exactly how the future is going to be and advance booking so that we can then go and get it. It doesn't work that way. We just don't know. Now, it's always been true. The future is uncertain for absolutely everyone in this room. All that 911 did, aside, I don't mean to, to minimize it, but one of the things it did is it gave us a crash course in Buddhist teachings, which are a lot on impermanence and uncertainty. And it's not to make you feel bad that everything is uncertain, it's just that it's true. And if you can get comfortable with it, your way of living will improve, because it's not a theory. We literally don't know what's going to happen next. We, we get comforting views. Religions are great at that. They're going to tell us we're afraid of, of our death. They'll tell us you'll be reborn. You'll be resurrected. You'll go to this realm, that realm. Don't worry about it. Now, to me, that is reassuring for many people. And if you check yourself, see if it is reassuring for you. That doesn't mean it's true. It means it's reassuring. It also could be true. It could be true. But all I'm saying is most of us seem to need some kind of reassurance about the future, that I know I'm going to die, but This rebirth stuff, it's true, isn't it? The Buddhists believe that there's rebirth. And I'm asked this a lot, and I can feel the energy behind the question. I I always answer, I don't know, because I really and truly don't. Honestly, I don't. (laughs) I have a sense, it's plausible. In many ways, it makes more sense that that this doesn't end in this continuity. But I don't know that the way I know certain other things. But you know what? It doesn't make one bit of difference to me. I'll still do the same practice with the same whatever uh, interest I have. I don't need that as a promise or as a promise in order for me to do this. But so a lot of that is that now. Now things are much more uncertain since 9/11. This is just before coming up. I heard a a uh, number of research studies were summarized. Uh, some of the overt anxiety seems to have died down, but it just become subterranean. People are feeling much more stressed, much more uncertain, anxious. Therapists report they're talking to patients about different things. It's changed something, and that's part of what terrorism is about. It's psychological warfare. I assume nothing happened on the 4th of July, or we would know it. Is that true, people who have more antenna out there? Okay, I don't know. Um, So, the world, which was always uncertain, now has another element which we living in this country have not known. That is, we keep hearing about keep your normal life going. Shop, fly, you know, in other words, buy things, uh, show that we're not defeated by the terrorists. And then maybe there'll be a picture of somebody, what someone looks with smallpox, you know, the next, or else you see news, which is, uh, or something that someone in the government is telling you that is arousing a lot of fear. Okay. Uh, there is, a, a ju- I think, a justifiable fear of not knowing what's next, yet we're, we're assured that there is going to be something next, it sounds Sounds like a good chance there will be. I hope not. Be nice if there's none of that anywhere. Okay, And then uh, some of you, I don't know, I, I'm one, I had to learn this. If you watch CNN, there's a certain um, kind of dukkha it produces. Because you, you watch CNN, and I don't mean be glued to it, as many people were after nine one one, but even a small dose of it, uh, there's just, we're, we're constantly told about how unsure things are, with experts coming in about terrorism more and more and more, and so forth. So we don't know about tomorrow. We never did. But now there's a little bit something added to the pot about not knowing. In addition to that, it's, it's contributing to me, at least what I've seen, to an even more chaotic mind state than we already had. Have any of you, do you know what crawl is? C R A W L, when you watch, let's say if you watch CNN, maybe it started with 9 11, I don't know. You're watching the main newscast, maybe it's about Jerusalem. And while you're watching it, and there's something compelling being told to you, there's crawl going along telling you uh, this one said that, the president said this, things about yesterday. And uh, so you're watching that, but then also you kind of look, you know, <laughs> you, you look there, and then now and then, what the, what the Jerusalem program is, it's not so exciting, so you get caught up in this. And then there's something in the upper corner from <laughs> Afghanistan, smaller in the upper right-hand corner. You're looking and it's Afghanistan. You're getting a glimpse of some general is telling you we're cleaning up things in Afghanistan, and you're back to Jerusalem, and Yasser Arafat said, you know, and, uh, and then the announcer is telling you two or three guests who are coming up. Also, the crawl will say, if you want more detail in great precision <laughs> about the real story in the Middle East, uh, do uh, CNN.com. So in other words, should I get the real thing from going to see, should I have to write that down? Uh, and then sometimes you, try and you get so involved in the crawl, and you really, it seems more interesting than what the announcer is saying, or the person up in the corner, the general. <laughs> And just as it's getting to an interesting part, it switches off for a commercial, <laughs> and the crawl is interrupted, so you don't find out what I was going to say. But if you stay there, if you stay there, it comes back. <laughs> now, when I first saw this, I thought people are getting paid to think this is an advance in media. Uh, they're probably getting well. I thought this is. Do people actually enjoy this? And then after reflecting on it, they do. And I said. <laughs> The reason is obvious. Our minds are like this. (laughs) This just matches people's minds. Uh, They're at home with it. I'm not at home with it. because I'm not only telling you, but I'm telling myself. Keep it simple. Stick to the present moment. Do each thing thoroughly. Then I turn this on. (laughs) So it's a challenge. In other words, it's complex. The outer world is complex. Our practice, we can't change that. It's, it seems ungovernable right now, but what you can do is can you be simple inside? Uh, learning how to take each thing in turn, even though there are a lot of things. If you have to drive fast, you don't have to be anxious. The mind can be, qu- can be calm while the car is going quickly. You have to learn how to do that. Some people are good drivers, they just do it. Uh, and it's the same if you have complex tasks. Some of you talk about the nature of your work when you get back home, it's not so different than this CNN uh, phenomena. So while we're clearing our minds out, we're living in a world that gets more and more complex all the time, and it's not just any old complexity. Some of it is is frightening, and it's all about future that may be worse than what it is now, and it just heightens uncertainty. Whatever uncertainty we already had, it's intensified. Okay. Uh, You may not get a chance to talk. I don't know. <laughs> I've been listening to you all day, you know. <laughs> all, all week, in fact. It's my turn. Um, we, each one of us in this room, no matter how you see your practice, we have a role to play, I feel. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh talks about uh the boat people those people who uh, attempted to leave uh vietnam by these old rickety boats i say attempted because not everyone made it and they they would often get caught in high seas with very rough weather and apparently the boats that had at least one person who could stay calm while the waves were threatening the the, these little boats that boat had a a much better chance of getting through If no one could stay calm, there was a much greater likelihood that the boat wouldn't make it. Okay, you're that one person. My my practice isn't that strong yet. We don't have time to wait for that. (laughs) This is, you didn't know what you signed up for here. It's inner Green Berets, inner Navy Seals, inner Special Forces. Because there's a good chance that you may be the one person or one of the few people who will be in social settings where people don't even have whatever limited resources you think you have. They don't even have what we have. The ability to notice that we're anxious. The ability to notice that we're not in the present. That we're caught up in some uh, nightmarish future that our mind just made up. But that isn't really here. Whether it's your family or your work situation or just people you, you run into you have that ability uh, with your practice. First and foremost, of course, you have to do it for yourself. And if you can begin to do that uh, yourself, even without saying a word, it's not, you know, as Karada said, don't don't teach Buddhism, please, to people who don't want to hear it. Uh, Be a Buddha, don't teach Buddhism, be a little Buddha. Uh, And there's bound to be situations where you find that just by being able to take care of yourself a little bit better than the person next to you, that you have something to contribute. Uh, so the contemplative life is not outmoded, uh, not outmoded, but uh, minimized because of all of what's happening. Because for all line, kn- I don't know what awaits us. There may be a need for more political action through all kinds of things. I don't know the turns that the world is going to take. Some of you already know, have been political activists or uh, Dharma activists. If so, it's what Karata was saying last night, the degree of your effectiveness in the real world, not in the real world, in these complex situations that might demand uh, different kinds of action, uh, will be facilitated by the degree which you're clear. Um, I'd like to... Finish what I'm saying uh, with a a simple suggestion that I've experimented with in Cambridge, and I think it has helped at least a few people. I'm not saying anything that uh, that hasn't been said, uh, those who come to IMS, by all the teachers. But somehow i found that putting it this way at least helps some people. It's the same teaching. Relationship is a very, very important part of our life. I don't don't necessarily mean intimate relationship. We're always in contact with people. And if you're on the path, it's very important to turn everything that happens to you into the path. Adversity turned into path, as you heard last night. So, relationship for most or all of us, certainly at times, is very difficult. Uh, we human beings simply haven't learned how to live together, or we find it very, very hard to. That's part of the reason why we love being on the cushion. Thank God, finally I don't have to relate to anyone, even if it's just for 45 minutes. Okay, no laughing, it's serious. You, you understand. And being silent is a relief. We don't have to listen and talk and all of that stuff. But relationship goes on, and so... Uh, I'm not a family counselor or a couple's relationship counselor or anything of that sort. Dharma is not reserved for a solitary person sitting on a cushion. Uh, That is an extraordinary form that has been used for thousands of years. That's very precious. That's why we're all here. But since most of our life is spent not on the cushion, we need to learn how how to use relationship as a practice. And there's one simple hint, relationship is a mirror. It, for example, the, uh, the core of the Buddha's teaching when pressed was, do not attach to nothing whatsoever, paraphrasing it, as being me or mine. In other words, the root problem is me and you. We're the problem, selfing. Okay. Relationship is very rich in revealing the ways of the self. I think it's in our face a good deal of the time. If you're able to listen, when you're in the presence, your child, anyone, very often you can feel where your response or how you're reacting uh, has everything to do with selfing. It's about me. And so if you look at it that way, relationship is a very rich source of self-knowing. Self-knowing is, remember, it happens in the active present. It's the willingness to be sensitive to what your experience is right now and to learn from that experience. It's not just to just feel it. As you become tuned in and see what, uh, it's a mirror in that it teaches you something about yourself. Someone does or says something and you have a certain reaction. It's typically conditioned, i.e. mechanical, i.e. from the past, i.e. like a Swiss clock. For some of it, it goes off. If you say certain buzzwords, you say this, and you just know, the per- like a, a clock, the person does that. If you bring awareness to it, that means being in the present moment. Uh, bringing attention to, your re- to reactions. Take that on as a practice. It's just another way of saying the same thing. We have strong reactions, and sometimes not so strong, but reactions. Typically, we're much more interested in what caused the reaction. Now, I'm not saying either or. It's not either I'm totally in my belly button or I'm focused on the other person. It's like the tides going in and out. You're aware of the other person, but with practice you can learn to remain sensitive to the impact they're having on you. I think every meditator knows that. Okay? But you can uh, respect it more. Don't, it's not just an episodic little thing. It actually is a rich source of, of learning and liberating that can come out of it. And so with practice, you become much more able to remember to be awake to your reactivity, to your reactions, to the other person. Of course, not only to people, but right now, let's limit it to people. It could be to CNN. That's a good practice. Watch CNN and watch what it brings up in you. It really is... And you can get free, so you can take the information, but not be destroyed by it. Okay, Get back to people. Uh, they're imaginary people in our head. And so in doing this, the reaction is there, and you can learn how to remain. Sometimes you're more sensitive to yourself and still in touch with the other. At other times, you're predominantly with the other, but you haven't lost touch with yourself. And this kind of flow, it can at some point become even simultaneous. It's not so much alternating as uh, comprehensive. It's all going on at the same time. What can happen is, if you're in the present moment with a reaction, the reaction starts to get weaker, or even falls away. And what it's replaced with, sometimes it's just for three or four breaths, is is some silence, is some clarity that you don't have when you're reacting. A reaction is not clear. It just comes out of your conditioning. If you've had good conditioning, then you're less likely to wind up in prison to kill someone because of what they do or say. If you haven't, you're in prison now, perhaps. So some of us are fortunate. We have better conditioning, but it's still conditioning, meaning it's mechanical, it comes out of yesterday, and it's very often not that appropriate for what's going on because it's not totally sensitive to what's happening right now it's more from yesterday and even if it's a, a nice yesterday it's not today it's not this moment and so that gives you a moment that gives you the possibility of an adequate response which is very different than a reaction a response in that silence it's, which is also in the present moment and this is some of what i meant by real nourishment in that silence there's a certain especially as it becomes more sustained deeper and more what you're in touch with and what you live from. It's not far away, it's right here. Uh, In that place, there's an intelligence that's different from intellectual intelligence, which is also very helpful. That that somehow comes up with creative actions, verbal and, and, and otherwise, that do not come from conditioning. Sometimes it's the same action that would have come from conditioning, but it's fresh. And so it's total. the energy is different. It's not an automatic response. Because you've laid that to rest or weakened it a bit with mindfulness. And then there's a moment and the possibility of something fresh, you may surprise yourself. Where what you say and do uh, can be more creative, more adequate, kinder, more compassionate, wiser, and so forth. It takes some faith at first to understand how intelligent we all are. And I don't mean intellect here. It's intrinsic to our nature. The Tibetans call it the cognizing power of emptiness. Very beautiful. But it's not thinking. It's not a, that we already can do that. We do too much of it. We worship thinking. Uh, and also all the compassion you could ever want is in that emptiness. Maybe this is just the bare tip of emptiness, but that's where it begins. So I would encourage you to when you go home, of course, keep your sitting practice up. When As much free time as you can. Come to places where you can do retreats like this. Uh, I have found and still find them invaluable. They're treasures. But if you Dip places like this in bronze, mount them, and make them st- put them on your mantle. This is what the practice is. Often when you ask people, how's your practice going? Oh, I didn't sit that much this week. I, I, kind of guilty and apologetic in Cambridge when I asked that. I, I didn't ask how much you sat. I asked, how's your practice? <laughs> Sitting is one kind of practice. Precious, invaluable. We have to learn the value of the rest of the day so that living and liberating ourselves are the very same thing. Um, maybe one or two questions. <laughs> Although what I'm saying is based on a lot of what I've been hearing all week. I'm rationalizing. I feel guilty. Kay. See, I just heard myself. I just was a mirror to myself. That's baloney. The reason you talk long is because you like to talk. It's an ethnic disease, but what can I do? (laughs) I've tried to cure it. It's hopeless. Okay, please. um, The The reaction is the mirror, is is what's showing you. No, No. don't make it complicated. uh, Have you been using mental notes as a practice? No, I'm not against the, the technique, but I think that can get a little stilted in daily life when things are happening rather rapidly. If you uh, try it, I don't know. I, have, I don't use that practice. It's nothing new that I'm saying, and you're much better able to do it on retreat. And don't, aren't you aware of some of your reactions to your fellow yogis? Tell me, aren't you? Okay, you've do you with that? you're aware. What do you want? What do you want to do with it? why do you have to do something to it all the time that's what, you see that that's part of the problem honestly it is okay you tell me what's going on well <laughs> i i i, think I came into it even by we are it or, to or well, we're trying to do something about do it something. look when my when mindfulness touches the reaction not doesn't mindfulness have Mindfulness is a very subtle energy, but it's not dead. It has transformed... Do- when, you t- when you're mindful of the of simple breathing with some continuity, doesn't the quality of the breath change? You're not trying to change the breath. If you were, that isn't the instructions. Mindfulness, in, in, the, in the translation of sati, it has many meanings, mindfulness. One of, it, one of the connotations is it's that which is always beneficial. That's part of what's so beautiful about... Awareness, attention, mind, whatever line. That is, it touches the reaction. And so then you're uh, you're no longer so enslaved to it. Okay, now, many of us are being civilized and well brought up. We have plenty of reactions that we don't talk about or act on or we'd be in big trouble. You know, that's part of being civilized is uh, civilization and its discontents. You know, we're controlling a lot. That's not what I'm talking about you're in touch with it. And in the feeling of it, it starts to lose its power little by little, especially as it becomes a practice. And then it's replaced by when that loses its power, it's just what's always beneath the surface of it. Clear mind. And So that it might be that you need to develop a little bit of faith in the value of, or other words, mindfulness is your best friend. I don't know if you've seen that yet. No, my husband is, my wife is, my mom. Yes, but... Mindfulness is you, and there's the quality of who you can be with you, the people you love, has so much to do with the quality of your attention. And finally, in this teaching, awareness is who you are. It's not any of these representations, I'm a this, I'm a that, it's not a picture, it's not any abstract verbal formulation, those are just images. They fall away when you look at them, fall away, fall away, and that's what we're afraid of. Ego's terrified. When, when people hear, I guess it's going to take many, many years to get enlightened. Uh, ego just sighs relief. It's just tickle pink. <laughs> Great, I can relax for a while. This person is, you know, he's putting it on. It's not about that. D- do you see what I'm getting at? Good. Please. It's also a lot of work being dysfunctional. (laughs) I don't mean you, I mean all of us. Do you have a better solution? Just keep doing what you're doing. Great. No. No, but it isn't just a a quantitative how-to. It isn't like, if you just do this as best you can for the next two and a half years, then you'll see. It it has so much to do with so many other factors. Motivation, interest, those are large ones. Uh, beginning to see how the urgency of waking up, all I'm talking about is an application of the same old practice. It's the same old boring vis persona. I'm not saying anything different. Someone, someone I see in Cambridge keeps calling it that. I don't, cor- I don't, cor- I don't correct it. <laughs> I did have to explain that. Yeah. Uh, now that is a process of growth, and for some people, maybe years is necessary. Some people see the most powerful thing we have going for us, growing out of mindfulness and awareness, is understanding. What's really lacking on planet Earth is understanding. That's what's scarce. There's not enough understanding. There's not enough wisdom. Okay, the clear seeing yields wisdom, real wisdom, not wise words, but the clear seeing. Enables you to, whatever it is, either verbally or physically. Now, if you once you start to see that for yourself, not because I said it, I'm just a, a talking menu, you know, it's you begin to see it yourself and you see the fruit of it, then you yourself will be more interested. It's not tedious; it's a joyful because you're learning. Many of you do enjoy learning. You, you know, you've gone to school. At least some of that's been enjoyable. Okay. This is now learning that the stakes are high. It has to do with why you're here, whatever your reasons are. Uh, so why not, instead of getting a scheme for when you graduate and can really do it and get your certificate and march off, uh, just take it one moment at a time and just enjoy the process. Instead of, there's so much concern, so many of the questions in discussion are about how am I doing, I've been practicing for eight years, I should be, could be, would be. Um, Begin to take care of the present moment. It's the practice of liberation through non-clinging. Read Joseph's book, Goldstein, if you're new to here. I think he treats it very, very clearly. Yes. Please. Am I supposed to know what to say to that? What? Oh, that's where it happened? Oh, so uh, you wanted to be more accurate. It wasn't South America.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Okay. Anything about daily life? Please. Yes. I understand. Yes, Uh, could you be more, what is your job? I see. Yes, yes. Uh, we had someone in Cambridge a number of years ago. Uh, we have these uh, two hours once a week, int- you know, practice groups. And this person was clearly very into it and uh, was benefiting from it. At the end, we had a go around, and he was just very down. Uh, what's the problem? And he said, "Well, I'm a city planner. Do I have to give up my job?" You know. <laughs> no. Uh, also, the past is okay. If you're a historian, you don't have to. You don't have to. <laughs> Okay. it's not about that it's having your feet firmly planted in the present moment while you're doing it knowing that what you're doing is you're making an educated guess or an estimate of how to best move this along we do that uh, uh, there are a few of us who are guiding IMS, we meet once a week and we, it's speculation we try to make it as solid as we can what does IMS need, where is it going etc, it's similar but And sometimes uh, this sensitivity to what might be is helpful and accurate, and sometimes it falls flat on its face. You do the best you can. Same for us as individuals. But so the key, if you're not solidly in the present moment, if that's shaky, and if you don't have faith in the the power of that, the importance of that, then you can very easily get sucked into a make-believe world. So you don't have to change at all. It might even improve your ability to be clearer. To know the difference between we're now there's a word coined, isn't it? Visioning and things like that. Yeah. Someone else, please. Please. Mm-hmm. He hmm You just one of them. Any one of them. Mm -hmm. What's the problem? Here. But, you know, no, because here what we're mainly, this is a context of a retreat, and mainly what we're talking about is how we're learning the conduct of mindfulness and present from moment to moment. Uh, if people started talking about Sangha, that would take them out of the moment, typically. Sangha, you know—we every morning we've been chanting uh, refuge in the, the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. Sangha is a very important part of the practice. This is Sangha. We've gotten something done this week that probably we couldn't have gotten done alone. On our own, would you have practiced through that blistering heat? I doubt it. So we all kept each other here. So that in that sense, that's the strength of Sangha. Sangha is very, very important. It's hard to do this journey alone. Uh, although it's important to learn how to be both alone and together, because life is like that. But um, the fact that we didn't talk about it is intentional. We didn't talk about a lot of things that are, that's why I'm talking about daily life now. Notice I didn't t- we didn't talk about that until now. Because we didn't want to take your minds off this in-breath, this out-breath, etc. But I'm happy you have a a sangha to support you and some people don't and more and more they're springing up though. Please. Yeah, for, uh, <clears throat> before getting to that, I'd like to get to, against, again, attitude. Okay. Because, let's say we've all worked hard, and to some degree, I hope, you know, our samadhi is a little bit more developed than when we got here. Okay. L- let's assume that for the moment. Okay. In some cases, a lot more developed. And we feel happy. that at least That's one tool, a very important one, in our practice. And then we get in our car, and we head towards Boston, let's say if you're going there, and as the miles tick off, we get, it gets less and less bucolic and rustic, and more trucks, and more cars, and then the police, and then a fire engine, and then uh, in the meantime, our hard-earned samadhi starts unraveling, little by little. As the mileage ticks off, the samadhi is falling apart. Kay. OK, so the attitude I'm talking about is then there's suffering. You know, I worked so hard to develop a samadhi, and now look at it. Okay. But... <laughs> okay. That is... But the practice is being with what is. It's being with what is. And the, the conditions here, just in your words, the conditions here are all intentionally set up to, in, to help us do that. Once you get into a city like Boston, New York, wherever, uh, wherever you live... Uh, some of these places is as if the conditions were devised by a maniac to make sure you never have samadhi. Okay, <laughs> uh, and yet this is the world we live in. Okay, so, but those pockets, you know, first of all, keep your sitting practice strong. Try to sit each day, of course. Um, come to retreats as much as possible, even though you, it feels like some of it falls away. There is a cumulative effect, but continuity is important. You know, it's just uh, day in and day out, but it's not necessarily just day in and day out doing this. The, For example, if you take on being mindful from moment to moment, a, a quality of attention develops from that that is quite strikingly useful. It's very useful. Remember, the deepest samadhi is not the point. It's It's useful in that it's strong to help you See into the nature of what is from moment to moment. Now, uh, the fact is, you're not going to have the conditions you have here, so get comfortable uh, seeing, let, go, let that go. In other words, th- these conditions help, were conducive to that. I, ju- I just want to, okay. And you do what you can. Uh, for example, there are moments you're waiting online, and maybe it's uh, in the department store, and maybe it's a minute and a half until it's your turn. You can be with your breathing, and that calms you down a little. It gets you a little bit centered. But look, I'm suggesting attend to your reactions. That's samadhi doesn't isn't reserved to just sitting and being with the breath. That's putting your attention on something and keeping it, it there. Samadhi needs to also be pliable, flexible, so that you can uh, bring it into daily life. If it's just something that you can can only be done in uh, in the forest or here then it's still valuable, but it's limited. Uh, So that's the best answer I can give. But wisdom doesn't necessarily require uh, the second, third, fourth jhana. It doesn't. I know.
1: Yeah.
0: Yes. No. I understand. Infa- the, the information explosion is some kind of miracle. I mean, what what is going on now, uh, and it's very very useful, brilliant, and there are many benefits that can come from it but it, has no, it doesn't necessarily have very much to do with liberation. If more information would free us, we would have been free a long time ago. How much more information do we need? We merely know everything. You know, How many more archives filled up with you know, studies, and research, and tomes, and who said this, when, what, and we're beginning, but now it's all computerized. Ah, keep it simple. Stick to the present moment. If your work requires computer, I use the computer too, And I know exactly what you're talking about. And it takes a certain, that's kind of wisdom in action. You know, when do I stop? What do I really need? What do I want? Hey, could we have just a few moments of silence? Let me leave you with an image that has helped me a lot. It was just a few years ago watching a friend's very young child just learning to walk. Uh, I mean, I knew this was so, but I didn't remember it from my own childhood, of course. But I just, it was fascinating. The child would would start to walk, fall down, get up, fall down, start to walk a little, fall down, smiling the whole time, very, very happy. Get up, fall down, fall down, get up, fall down. There's no like, hey, I've been walking for 10 seconds or, you know, like, uh, how come I can't uh, uh, enter the marathon? I mean, what, these adults are running the marathon. Uh, Enjoying, somehow enjoying the process of learning how to walk. Uh, It hasn't been infected by us yet, by the school system, by ambition, by comparing by the, this craving to become, become, become. Um, because so many of the questions have to do with my practice is not where I want it to be. Uh, okay, make a comeback. You know, be the comeback kid. And, and just see if you can, by focusing on the process of pra- practicing itself, uh, the practice, let that be both the means and the end rather than the stepladder approach, which is driving you crazy. You're constantly feeling you're never where you think you're supposed to be. My samadhi's not good enough. That's not, These conditions, it's an imperfect, difficult world. You do the best you can. That's what we're all doing. Can we have a few moments of silence?